We're going to go ahead and begin our deep dive into the book of Philippians. We're going to go ahead and, and uh, how many of you guys like it when we go through the books of the Bible verse by verse? It's a great way to do it. You know, we try to try to mix it up here. We'll go through topical for a while. And then we, I like to dig in like this, though, because there's something different about going through every single verse. Because you don't get to skip the hard stuff. You got to deal with the stuff that nobody wants to talk about, that nobody wants to, to, to teach on. Because, man, it's really easy to put together all the verses that, that says everything's great, everything's wonderful. If you become a Christian, nothing will ever go wrong. But when you start going verse by verse, you realize that no, there's some difficult stuff we have to work through as well. Now, uh, I'm gonna before we get started. Well, actually, let's pray before we get started. Let's do that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm starting with that kind of just trash my 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 train of thought, but that's okay because I think that that, that was more important. But uh, bear with me as I gather myself. Father, we just thank you for your your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that uh, that you would speak to us this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that each and every one of our eyes and our hearts would be opened and ready to receive what you have for us. Father, I pray that it would find fertile soil in our hearts and that it would grow and produce fruit in our lives. Father, I thank you for giving me the words to speak, Father. Lord, the things that need to be said to touch people's hearts. And Father, I pray that as we dwell into your word, our faith would increase, our love would increase, our knowledge of who you are and who we are in you would increase. And we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get started. Philippians, and, and as we normally do when I, when I do these, these types of series, this is not Philippians chapter 1, this is Philippians part 1, because chapter 1 is going to take a couple parts. I know it confuses everybody, especially when they come in in the, end, in the middle of it going, wait a minute, why does it say part 3, but he's still in chapter, chapter 2, and they, they get confused, especially when we're doing long ones, like we did the book of Romans, we're in the 20s, but still in chapter 16, and people were confused, but... This is part one, not just chapter one, although they do coincide at this moment. Hallelujah. So Paul wrote this letter while he was under house arrest in Rome, uh, awaiting prison. He was either on house arrest or he was in prison. I'm not 100% sure, but either way, if you're on house arrest to the authority of, of Rome, might as well be in prison, and that's where he's heading anyway. It's likely written in 63 AD. And at some point, the Philippian church learned of Paul's imprisonment. And they sent Aphroditus with words of encouragement from the church as well as a financial gift. You see, Paul administered in the, in, 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 to the Philippian church and he made an impact on them. Churches were started, they loved him. And when they heard the situation that he was in, he, they wanted to be a blessing to them. So they sent people with words of encouragement and a gift. And actually the primary purpose of this letter is just for him saying thank you for that gift. Thank you for, for being there for him and helping them in this time of need. But he also wanted to take the opportunity to encourage the Philippian church. Because that's the thing about Paul. If you ever look at the way he lived his life, that he's in chains right now. But even though he's in chains, the truth of the gospel remains his top priority. No matter what he's going through, no matter what's going on, he is close to God and he wants to minister the gospel at every opportunity. And we're going to see as we read through this letter that Paul is full of joy. That's a strange thing. Joy is, is actually one of the, the, the key focuses of this letter. Which is weird because he's in prison, and I don't think of, there's not one time that I'm like, you know what, I'm looking for a good time. Maybe I'll go to prison. Anybody ever think like that? 
Maybe Jose. But that's because he works there, not because he's... <laughs> Paul actually uses the word joy or rejoice 13 times, as is translated in the English Standard Version, in this four-chapter book, this four-chapter letter. 13 times he says joy or rejoice. Because it's an important thing to Paul. But this is the thing about joy. Did you guys know that there's a difference between joy and happiness? Huge difference between joy and happiness. Happy is an emotion. Happy is a feeling. But joyfulness is a, is a state of being that's irrespective of the circumstances you're going to. You can be mad and still be joyous. You won't stay that long way for long if you'll focus on your joy. But the truth is, is there, there is a difference. Now, over the last week, I went and bought some wood. We're actually building a, a sound booth for the back area of the church right here. We're going to get rid of all those tables and some of that junk back there. It's a big, nice um, plywood flooring. It's raised a little bit. And, uh, but I've been working on it all week. And as I've been working on it, I have gotten splinters <laughs> that have went in my finger. And I'm pretty sure we're sticking out my elbow at the same time. That's what it felt like. And then when I pulled them out, it felt like that maybe they were attached in the bottom of my feet or something. I don't know. And then I got the plywood put on the framework, and I'm getting close. So there's actually, you won't be able to see it because it's where two pieces of wood came together, but there's literally my blood on the plywood on this thing because I cut my leg on the plywood, and then I was leaning over looking, and I, I went and, uh, and I said, man, I went and told Michelle, I said, the thing is, is my blood, sweat, and tears are literally in this thing. And she goes, what, you were crying? Man, that woman. Then, I was, I, I just got an impact driver not too long ago. And if any of you are familiar with tools, it makes it so much easier to drive screws into wood because it reduces the chances of slipping. But I was started with a drill, and I kept slipping on the, what I did was I made a mistake. They sell screws with, with Torx heads that don't slip hardly at all, but it was like a third of the cost for the same size box for Phillips head. And I'll never make this decision again, but I bought the Phillips head. And now they're slipping all the time. And at least a couple times it slipped off the screw and I buried my, 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 the driver bit into my hand. So I've gone through a lot of pain on this thing. Now, what do you expect? Anybody expect how I was feeling when all these things happened? I can promise you happy was not how I felt during all these situations. But you know what? I still was joyous. I still had joy. Matter of fact, because I was building something for the church, doing something for the kingdom of heaven. Like the fact that, that my, 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 my joy doesn't have to do with whether I'm hurt or the circumstances I'm in. The fact is, is that I'm joyous because of what Christ has accomplished in me. The fact that I know that no matter what happens here on earth, that it's just a temporary thing. See, that's the thing about happiness is happiness is the result of your circumstance. I'm sure when this is all done and we get it in the church, I'm going to feel happy. But if I get it in here and it doesn't fit or it catches on fire, I may not be happy, but I'll still be joyous because of what God is doing. Happiness is the result of circumstances, but joy is the result of Christ and Christ in you. And that can't be affected by your circumstances, at least if you don't let it. And then finally throughout this letter, Paul is going to reiterate the importance of Christ being your focus. See, here's the thing is Christ is where our joy comes from and He is our example of how to live our lives. And if we're to, to be focused on Him and, and not in other directions, 
then we can have that joy in our lives. And no matter what the situation is, no matter how bad it is, how, how, how terrible things are going, if we'll press into Him and keep our focus on Him, the joy will remain. But if we let our focus slip away to the things in our lives that distract us, and we all have things in our lives that distract us. If you have kids, you know that stuff distracts you. If you have a boss, you know there's stuff that distracts you. If you live under a government, we do, you know that there's stuff that can distract you. Man, I, I listen to, to the news, the radio, political radio these days, and I've had to cut it back because I found when I listen to it too much, it actually does begin to affect my, my, my mood and my, my emotions. And it's really easy to forget that God is still in this place, that God still loves His people. It's easy to forget when you see the, the world is just going back crazy around us. But I, I, I limit it now. So I have at least a pulse, uh, my finger on the pulse of what's going on, but I, I don't want that to be the focus of my day because when I, I want my focus to be Christ and what He's accomplishing. And the truth is, it doesn't matter how bad it gets, if people will just turn to Christ, the issue resolves itself. Amen? And the last thing is, if we're pressed into the Lord and right with Him, and actually right with one another, then we can finally achieve unity. And I'm not saying uniformity. You know there's a difference between unity and uniformity, right? Unity means that all the churches, all the denominations, they're, they're working together, even though there's minor theological differences and, and minor worship style differences and, and minor dress differences. We can still work together in unity, but not be uniform. Amen? So let's get started in Philippians 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and priests priests and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ sometimes my head works faster than i can read and i try to put words together so you'll have to forgive me so first thing that i want to point out as we read this it says paul and timothy servants of christ jesus paul is the undisputed author of this book nobody thinks anybody else wrote it but you could say well pastor wayne it says timothy right there no, Timothy actually didn't write this letter. Paul's with Timothy at the time. And we know this because as we get further into the letter, you're going to see that actually Paul refers to Timothy in the third person. So this letter was, uh, Paul is the undisputed writer, writer? Yeah, writer of this letter. And this letter is written to the entire church in Philippi. There's likely multiple house churches going on in the church uh, in Philippi right now, and he's writing it to all of them. Actually, we're going to get to some points later in the letters. There's, there's a couple of, of ladies who are likely leaders in the church, and, and he says, basically, he tells them to, to get along, to start agreeing with one another. And it's likely because they're from separate house churches or something like that, and, and just like we have multiple denominations with little things that are silly that churches argue about today, Paul's like, listen, you guys need to agree and come together and stop butting heads. But it's written to, to all the, the overseers, which is what we refer to today. There's actually only two official positions uh, in the New Testament that's referring to the church. There's, there's overseers and there's deacons. Overseers are your pastors, your shepherds of the flock. And deacons are the workers in the church, or the other leaders and workers in the church. And he's written into all of those as well as the rest of the church. And then he begins with this customary greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that Paul starts all these letters like this. I love that when, when you read, and he's going to actually go into greater detail in a moment and express his heart for these people, but even in the, the letters that don't have as much, you can always see 
Paul's heart when he speaks to the churches, his spiritual children. He's, he wants the best for them. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the beginning, he's already beginning to extend grace to them and, and just ask God to bless them because he loves these people. And he goes on in, in verses 3 through 6, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, there's that word again, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we just saw that Paul starts his letter. He says, he says, grace and peace be to you. We're starting to see that heart come out. And over the next uh, uh, several verses, we're going to see this heart expressed even more. And we're going to see first that, that we see that Paul has the Philippian church on his mind. Then we're going to see that Paul not only has them on his mind, he has them in his heart. And then thirdly, he's, we're going to see that Paul has them in his prayers. So Paul begins by letting them know that, hey guys, I remember you. I'm thinking of you. He says right here, he says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. Paul is actually thinking about these people. How many of you guys think about the other people in this church during the week? That's what we should be doing, having the people in the church in our remembrance, in our prayers. Are you back there whispering, you two? So listen, I've got to keep an eye on these two because this morning... Jen sends my daughter Allison a text that says, hey, I'm going to sit next to you, but don't distract me because my pastor's kind of mean. <laughs> and Allison says, well, yeah, well, I have to live with him. <laughs> so now I got my eyes on them. Apparently there's more that she said, but I didn't get to see it all, so now I got to steal Allison's phone later to get it all. <laughs> don't make me burn out somebody's retina by pointing laser lights at you. Hallelujah. Where was I? He's thinking about them. Did you guys know that thinking about people is important in a relationship? If you don't ever think about somebody, what kind of relationship do you really have? And it's even more remarkable that Paul did this while he's in prison. He's in prison. Life's not going so good. I heard the food there sucks. And he is still thinking about the people that he has ministered to in different cities. And he's, he's, he's saying, look, guys, even in this tough time, I'm still praying for you because I still want the best for you because I still love you guys. His mind isn't focused on, him, on his circumstances. His mind is actually focused on those he loved. And I know that me personally, when I, when I look at Paul, he's, he's the one that I try to imitate, imitate quite regularly. One, because he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But really, he, he's the picture of a pastor that I want to be. If you've been here for a while, you know that I try to regularly reach out to people either by text or call people just to see how they're doing. Tell them if we haven't seen them in a while that we miss them, that we love them. Some of you guys are like, man, this guy just keeps giving me a hard time because I missed a Sunday. But it's, it's not really that. It's because I care about you guys. I want to see how you, I want to encourage you because I remember that when I was attending a church uh, and even now with the, the, my pastors and my mentors right now, when they send me a message of encouragement, letting them know that they're thinking about me and they're pray, praying about me, it, it encourages me. It builds me up. I love hearing those things. So I try to do the same with the members of the church, particularly those who I don't see regularly. I want people to know that I care about them, that I'm thinking about them, that I'm praying for them. Because I pray for you all regularly. And I would encourage each one of you guys to do the same. Never underestimate the impact 
of you just calling someone and say, hey, I love you, miss you. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you and just curious how things are going. Never underestimate the impact that that could make on somebody's life. And then he goes to say, it's in remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine. I am making my prayer with joy. Now this is an interesting statement to me for two reasons. One, this is Paul in prison praying in joy, which I think seems weird because I don't know if I would be joyful or happy while I was in, in prison. But, but Paul's got his head in the right place so his circumstances aren't affecting him. And you're actually going to notice this is a theme going forward in, the, in this, uh, this whole letter like we talked about. Is, is Paul is, spends a lot of time sp- talking about either him being joyous or telling them to rejoice or saying that he rejoices. But the other part that's weird about this is he's talking about the, the Philippians, right? He's praying for them in joy in his remembrance of them. So he's remembering these guys and he's praying in joy. Anybody remember what happened to Paul when he went to Philippi? It's in the book of Acts. You can read about it. He gets there, and there's this, this uh, it's him and Silas are there. Uh, no, that was in Jerusalem, sorry. Um, but it's, uh, Paul's there, and he is uh, in, in Acts chapter 16, and he casts a slave out of, out of, a, uh, uh, of a girl there, uh, or casts a demon out of a slave girl there. Sorry, my words. Hallelujah. And he gets arrested, right? So this little girl is, is, is possessed by a demon, and she's a slave, and she's making fortunes and stuff for their owners, and, and Paul's like, get out of her. Demon leaves. Now the, the owners are out of their money. So they have him arrested. So he gets arrested. He's stripped naked. Naked. He's beaten. He's put, and then he's finally put in jail. Anybody thinking joy when you're remembering that story anybody thinking joy when you're remembering how that happened so then he gets thrown in prison but good comes from that right he had to get in prison somehow or else would you be able to to praise and have the 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 walls torn down and, and get the jailer saved there was a, there was a, a god used every situation for him to have an impact yeah that was him and silas sorry i was confused i get thrown in jail I don't know if that's a joyous occasion to you. It doesn't seem like the kind of memory that would instill feelings of joy in my life. But I said earlier, joy is not the result of your circumstances. Paul went through some awful circumstances in his life. He was shipwrecked, stoned a couple times, imprisoned a few times, beaten a few times. The guy didn't have a rough life, but he, he loved what he was doing for the Lord because his joy wasn't derived from those things. And he says, it's because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day to now that brings me joy. The fact that, that I was able to minister to you, that an impact was made in your life, and now you're co-laboring with me for the gospel, that brings me joy. And Paul is convinced of the power within that. And he's convinced of the power of the gospel. He says, and I'm sure of this, that you will begin a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, the work that is started in us when we receive Christ will not remain unfinished. When Christ returns, we're going to see that the last enemy is put at his feet as a footstool. 
And it's with his return, that's what he says, that I'm convinced that the good work in you will bring it to completion. That means that there's work that's been started already. It's not a get saved and wait till heaven one day thing, but it'll be completed when he returns. In John, 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. I'm looking forward to that day, one day in heaven, when, when it's all complete and I get to see my glorified body because I'm convinced it's skinnier. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to that day to not have anything that's a distraction or, or making me misunderstand who I am in Christ. Because there's things that happen right now. Even now we, we see in a mirror dimly even though we have greater revelation than any other people in the history of the world of who we are in Christ, we still don't have it perfectly. But I thank God that even now on this earth, as we walk, we can begin to live and look more and more like Christ every single day. That's the work beginning in you, and it will be completed in that day because the gospel is powerful. The gospel in Jesus is, is able to change lives. Amen? So he starts and he says, you know what, I, I have you in my remembrance, but then he goes on to say, I also have you in my heart. In Philippians 1, verses 7 through 8, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he doesn't just have him on his mind, but he has him in his heart. Did you know that it's possible to have somebody in your mind, but not in your heart? So, as I was telling you guys, I was working on that thing back there. I didn't have an impact driver, but I bought one. I found one on Facebook Marketplace, and I reached out to this guy, and he, he had a whole lot of tools. It's actually a pretty good deal, and I reached out to him to, uh, to buy these tools. And uh, it doesn't respond very fast at first. I'm like, what's going on here? He finally responds. I said, you know, do you still have them? Like an hour later, yes. I'm like, all right, well, where are you located at? Now it's like after 10, he writes back, uh, or I asked him, do they all work? He said, yes. And for all of them, yes. And he tells me he's on I-19, so I'm like, all right, tomorrow, let's meet. So I, I have time to go get him. So then I, I text him in the morning and say, hey, uh, what's your specific address? Are you available between uh, 11 and 12? Nothing. This is like 8 o'clock in the morning I sent this to him. At 11.15, he writes, Yes. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, well, I got like an hour for lunch. I need you to get back to me quickly with your address so I can meet you there. Nothing for like 10 more minutes. I'm like, this guy was on my mind. He was not <laughs> in my heart at this moment. I found the solution, though. Turns out my boss wanted some of the tools in the lot, so I just brought him with me so I wasn't late back for lunch. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> But Paul did more than just have them on his mind. He loved them with everything that he had. And that's the thing about getting saved. Is that when you get saved, something changes inside of you. Before I got saved, I was a selfish, unloving person. I could care less about other people as long as I was happy. Everything, you know, looking out for number one, right? That's what the world teaches us. And then I got saved. And it wasn't that I had to start thinking about thinking differently it just happened something inside of me changed and over time as i pressed into god i began to love more i began to care more you guys wouldn't like me 15 years ago i heard that 
You said, I don't like you now, didn't you? I heard it. See, that's the thing, though, is that Christ inside of you makes a change. There's, there's evidence that Christ is inside of you. There's evidence when you get saved, and you'll find yourself loving people that you never loved before. You go, Pastor Wayne, I'm just not a loving person. Well, yes, you are. If you're born again, you are a loving person because you're made in the image of God, and that's one of his characteristics that you have inside of you. One of the evidence of a changed heart is a changed life. Did you know that? In 1 John 3.14, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. If you're born again, you're going to love. You're going to have a changed heart. Jesus actually uh, said this was to be evidence of Christians as well, right? He said, they will know you by your love for one another. And that's the thing about Paul is he actually loved these people. He cared about them. He, he, he went to Philippi, got thrown in prison, for them. He proved it because he, he gave up his freedom to go and minister the gospel to them, to set the captives free, to set that, that young slave girl as a captive to, to not only to her, her, her earthly masters, but she was also captive to a demon living inside of her. He set her free and he paid the price for that because he loved and he cared about them. People that he didn't know, people that he had never met. It's one of the things that I tell people. When you look at this world around us, when you walk down the street, you walk through Walmart, when you look at these people, it, it should hurt your heart knowing that many of them don't know the Lord. And they don't have a hope. They don't have a future. The next thing you'll notice in this phrase here is he says, I feel this way about you all. He wasn't talking about specific people in the church either. He was talking about the entire church. He actually uses this, this, this phraseology like you all nine different times in this letter. This wasn't just to a couple people, but it was to the entire church. He wanted every single saint there to know that he loved them, that he cared about them. One of the things you guys have probably heard me do is just have me tell you that I love you. When you're, when you're walking on, say, all right, see you guys later, love you guys. And there's two things that I know. One, particularly guys, feel super awkward when I do it to them. And two, when I first started doing it, particularly to guys, I felt super awkward. When I was, it's really awkward telling another guy that, that's not one of your relatives that you love them. But the thing is, is that something inside of me changed, so I want people to know that they're loved and they're cared about. So I'm just going to keep saying it till you stop feeling awkward. You just get used to me saying it. Because I want you to know that you're loved. And I'm serious about that. And the same goes for Paul. He wanted them to know that they were loved and that he was committed to them. It wasn't something that Paul said, but it was something that he demonstrated time and time again, typically by being beaten, thrown in prison, or any other thing like that. But he was willing to go regardless of the circumstances. And his affection for his people was genuine and deep. And then finally, he had them in his mind, in his heart, and then also in his prayers. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says, It is my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This prayer that he prays here, do you know this is a prayer of maturity? He's saying, my prayer for you is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve 
of what is excellent so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is Paul's praying that these people would mature in Christ. Something I pray for for you guys as well, and I pray for myself. One of the things that I pray almost every 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 morning, particularly on Sunday mornings in the prayer meeting that most of you guys aren't at, you should be, is that uh, that we would grow, the church would grow, but not just uh, uh, numerically, although that would be nice to have more people in the church, we'd have more resources, we could do more. But I'm, I'm more concerned with spiritual growth and growth and maturity for every single one of us. I'm more concerned that we would grow up into him so that we could grow up into the measure and the stature that is Jesus Christ. I pray that God would help me teach to that end, and I pray that you guys would learn to that end. And that's what he's saying. One, I want you to, your, your love may abound more and more. That's the mark of a mature Christian is how much love they show for others, how much grace that they show for others. But he says, you know what? I'm not just talking about being walked all over. The truth is, is that, that when we walk in love, it doesn't mean that we just blindly love all things regardless of what they are. He says you need to grow in love with knowledge and all discernment. So we need to grow in our knowledge and discernment as well. We need to know what is lovely. And we need to know the difference. Like, for instance, there are people who are living in sin. We can still love them, but without loving the things that they're going through, without approving of what they're going through. Although the world will tell you today that if you don't approve of them, you don't love them. It's just simply not true. But we need to have discernment. We need to make sure that we're loving people well. You know, when someone's uh, uh, struggling and they're always uh, begging for money, they're always asking for stuff, and they're not actually trying to make a difference in their life, if we keep giving them money, that's not love. That's enabling them. That's why when, when we help people with the church, there's a couple of requirements that we have. One, we want to make sure that their budget gets on, on track, but we also do it a limited amount of times. We don't just keep giving and giving and giving because that's not love. We have to do it with knowledge and all discernment. It's the same thing when, when people are living in sin. If they're young Christians, we're a lot more open to it and accepting of it and help them walk through it. But there comes a point where we have to say that, you know what, this isn't love to, to allow you to keep doing these things and not say something. And then he goes on and says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You want to know how you know the things that are excellent? You mature in the Lord. You spend time in His Word. You spend time learning who He is. And as you grow, you're going to be able to, to, to discern and see those things which are excellent and which are not. And as you do those things, you're going to notice the difference so that you can live blameless for the day of Christ. That means that you can live as God has called you to live. One of the things young Christians do is they ask, is this sin? Can I still do this? It's... How close to the line can I get to without stepping over it? Have you ever met anybody like that? Typically, young Christians are because they don't know. They, they haven't grown. They haven't matured. And they don't know. So they're asking these questions genuinely. Some people have been Christians for a long time, and, and they just want to see how close they can get without stepping over. Unfortunately, it's super easy to step over once you get that close to the line. But a mature Christian doesn't have to ask those questions anymore because they're able to discern. Because when you're walking in step with the Spirit, His thoughts are your thoughts. And you don't have to ask the pastor if this is a sin or not. You'll know. Because you've read your Word. You've spent time in prayer. You can hear God's voice. Amen? Then in Philippians 1.12-14, he goes on. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. 
so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak a word without fear. How do you suppose Paul wanted to go to Rome? We know that he wanted to preach in Rome. Romans 1.15 says, So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who also who are in Rome. We know that God told him that he had to testify in Rome. When he was being opposed by the Jews in Jerusalem, the Lord said this in Acts 23.11, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Can you imagine that? God speaks, I need you to go on a mission trip. I'm going to need you to go over to, to Iran and minister the gospel. And you're like, all right, I'll do whatever you want, God. But here's how I'm going to get you there. I'm going to need you to get arrested, and you're going to spend time in prison, tortured and beaten. I don't know if Paul was, Paul was willing. We know he was willing. I can't imagine that's what he was hoping for. But we do know he wanted to go. But I think Paul wanted to go as a preacher, not a prisoner. But you know what? Even in his circumstances, he made the best of what was going on. It's like, you know what? If I'm going as a prisoner, I'm going to preach to the guards. So he says, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul wasn't going to shut up about Christ, even though that's why he was getting to prison for. He wasn't going to stop speaking. He wasn't going to stop sharing the gospel. He wasn't going to give up. And he says that, guys, even though this is a bad situation, I want you to know that God is still moving and ministering throughout this entire thing. Because remember, why did, these, the, did they send Aphrodite with this letter? They heard he was in prison. They wanted to encourage him, and they wanted to send him some money. So Paul's saying, like, look, guys, thank you so much for the gift, but I want you to know that it's not all bad. It looks bad from the outside. It looks like things couldn't get any worse, but guess what? God is still moving. Now the whole imperial guard knows why I'm here. They know that I'm here for Christ. Some of them are going to go up to him and say, what is this whole, why are you here for Christ? Who is this guy? Let me tell you about Christ. All the other people who were there that knew that he was in prison, they all know why he's here. So already the name of Christ is being mentioned more than it ever had been before in the city of Rome. He said it wasn't a complete loss. And then he goes on to say, and most of the brothers, having been coming confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There were still a bunch of people who weren't in prison. So they see Paul get put in prison. He's not shying down. He's not backing down. He's telling the guards about Jesus. He's telling anybody that will listen why he's there. And the brothers in the city are going, man, if Paul does it, I can do it too. Now they're encouraged. They're like, man, this guy Paul... He gets arrested and he still keeps on preaching. Certainly I can preach when I'm not in prison. And they have boldness. They're, they're inspired by Paul and his willingness to do whatever it takes to not worry about a circumstance, to still remain joyous, still remain thankful, still remain close to God, not to, to so many of us, we get in a bad situation and it's so easy to begin to, to, to complain to God or to even accuse God of the situation that we're in. But Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter where I'm at, I'm still going to preach Christ. What Paul did inspired others to minister the gospel. Remember, the things that you do will inspire others as well. And it doesn't matter if you, if you show your kids 
how to be a Christian, you're going to inspire them to do the same. But if you show them something else, I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're inspiring others. That you are being, the, the truth is, is that we're ambassadors for Christ, no matter how we look at it. As soon as you claim to be a Christian, then the things that you do are going to impact others. So what are people seeing? Are we living a Christian life that is actually going to encourage others to come to Christ? Or were they going, well, you just look like everybody else? Except for you're guilty more often. Why would I want to be that? Or are we living a life that's showing them that there's something different? Paul was setting an example and encouraging others. And I would encourage each and every one of you in this room to do the same. Think about how your actions are going to impact other people. Are you going to be encouraging others? Or are you going to be pushing them away? And then we'll finish here today in Philippians 1, 15-18, where he goes on to talk about those people preaching the Gospel. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. When I was reading this, one of the things that was interesting to me about the people that Paul inspired to preach was that some of them were doing it just to get him in trouble. Their motives were completely different. Some are preaching the gospel like we talked about a moment ago because they were inspired by Paul. They figured if Paul can do it, then I will. If Paul can't do it because he's in prison, then I'll preach the gospel for him. But others were doing it to, to, to harm Paul. They were saying, you know what? Paul's in, in jail for preaching Christ. If I go out and preach Christ, maybe the authorities will hear about it and they're going to punish him more and more. But you know what? The gospel was being preached regardless. The gospel was being preached regardless of what they were preaching for. The name of Christ was being proclaimed. And this reminds me of what Jesus told the disciples in Mark 9, 38-40. He says, John said to them, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. See, that's the thing is that it wasn't going to do the people preaching any good because that's what the Scripture also says as well, right? It says, but, but Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your names. And he says, get away with me. Get away from me. I didn't even know you. Those who are preaching in, in envy and malice, and trying, they're not getting any gain for themselves, but the people who are listening to the message, they're hearing about Christ. And Paul says, you know what? I don't care that if it brings me more pain because they're preaching. I don't care if I stay in prison forever as long as the name of Christ is being preached. He says, either way, whether they're preaching in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is what I, I aspire to be, to be a person that regardless of the circumstances, that I will keep on rejoicing. That, I, that, that no matter what is happening, because it's so easy, particularly pastoring a church, you know, we come in and, and like I said, last couple of weeks, summer, there's nothing better than summer to just deflate a pastor's ego when he comes in on, 
and everyone's on vacation and there's three people in the in the seats. It's so easy to get to disheartened to, to like what is going on? Is is uh, you know is is something going wrong? Did I say something wrong? You know because that's another thing I think about all the time as well is I never want to do anything to to cause someone to walk away. To, to do something stupid that would cause somebody to move away. It doesn't mean that I won't preach the, the Word of God uh, fervently. It doesn't mean I'm going to water it down and, and, and give people things to tickle their ears. If they walk away because of that, that's not me. But I would hate that I accidentally hurt somebody or accidentally offended somebody and they would walk away. Because I genuinely do care about the people that come into this church. And it's so easy that when you see those things to be disheartened because of the circumstance that you're in. So I look to, to Paul and I, I look to the Word of God and I'm reminded, you know what? I'm going to rejoice. Whether there was six people in here or there's 30 people in here, Christ is being proclaimed. People are hearing the Word of God. I don't care if my life is hard and, and I, I just lost my job and I don't have enough money. I'm going to rejoice in what Christ has done because the truth is all that stuff's temporary and can be resolved quite easily. But what Christ has done in me is permanent and I will rejoice. Church, I would encourage you all to do the same. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads as we finish this up.